DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. I am very excited today. I have Enrique Rubio, uh, HR expert, but more important than his individual contribution is he's created a community where HR professionals connect, learn, share, all with the same goal of creating a better workplace for all. Enrique, thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Don, thank you so much for inviting me. I am excited about the conversation. So thank you so much for having me. One of the things as we jump in, Enrique, so that folks get to know you as an individual, whatever you feel comfortable, tell us a little bit about your family, your background, where you grew up, a little bit of that personal story that we wouldn't read about on LinkedIn, and then we'll kind of dig into to some business topics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for having me. I, I was born in Venezuela, in South America, and I grew up there. I moved to the U.S. in, in 2011. So it's been a little over uh, 11 years living here now. By trade, I am a, an electronic engineer. That's what I went to school for. And I, I thought that I was going to be an engineer all my life, right? I, I thought I was going to be a practitioner uh, or a practitioner engineer all my life. And then, you know, 10 years into my career, I found like, you know what? Like working with technology is fun. It's cool. 
but I like working with people a little bit more, right? And a little bit better working with people. So I, I had this little uh, um, sort of like uh, journey in, in sales, which I didn't like too much. And then I found out about HR and I started transitioning to HR. I, I did my master's degree with a focus on HR. Then I work in, as a consultant in, in the corporate world. And it's been more than 10 years now in HR. So uh, even though the uh, the engineer mindset never goes away, you know, that's how I sort of like tackle challenges and see sort of the world. I like that I can combine what I have learned both in, from my career as an engineer and my career in HR. And by bringing these two worlds together, I think I can create something that that is generally better than if I if I if I was doing it just from an engineering or from an HR perspective. So, so that's a little bit about me, a little bit about where I come from and my background. Oh, that's fantastic, and and I really appreciate that analytical, that engineering, that structured component, yeah. and then delivering that with a people centric mindset. And I think that is really really powerful. Hacking HR is a powerful HR community. Talk to us about why you started this organization, what some of the goals are, how people yeah. can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we um, it's, this is the fifth year of Hacking HR. And when I created this community, sort of the idea behind doing this was to bring closer together the worlds of technology and HR. Um, back then, you know, when I created this in September of 2017, what I was thinking is, man, the world of technology is moving so fast. And what I see in HR is concerning me because HR is moving, if moving at all, very slowly and sometimes very disconnected from the pace at which technology is moving the world forward, right? That doesn't mean that HR is not using technology. It means that the mindset that is required to sort of embrace the opportunities of technology is that mindset is embraced already by people in, say, IT, marketing, sales, operation, but it's not embraced yet by people in HR. So I wanted to bring these two worlds together and we started having conversations about, you know, blockchain, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, all this stuff and the implications in work and HR. But I, I'm going to say that probably six months into, into doing this Hacking HR thing, this community, I found out that HR needed way more than just learning about technology. There were a lot of different things that were very you know, wide gaps in our sort of proficiency, in our skills, in our capabilities that needed to be closed so that we could fully deliver, you know, a greater HR to create better workplaces. So right now, the way I define Hacking HR is as a global learning community that brings together HR leaders, practitioners, consultants, technologists, uh, uh, you know, experts and, and, and people interested in this world to discuss, learn, share about all things that are at the intersection of the future of work, technology, organizations, people, transformation, innovation, and how that intersection impacts HR and vice versa, how HR impacts that intersection as well. So that's what Hacking HR is today. But we, we I started this just tech HR, and now it's, it's all fun things HR, all cool things HR, and the rest of the good things happening in the world. That is fantastic. <laughs> One of the advantages that you have is you talk to business leaders, HR practitioners, consumers of the work of the business level HR work within organizations. 
what are some of the trends that you're seeing, right, that are driving this community forward and really helping move the needle in terms of how we create that better workplace? Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic question. And, and perhaps I, I want to split it up in a couple of parts, right? Part number one is trends that should not be trends. You know, you know way more about this, Don, than I, than I do, but we continue talking about DEI and we should have resolved so many of the issues that we had about diversity, equity, and inclusion years ago, but we are still talking about them today because we didn't resolve them before, right? They, there's still so much work pending to do that we still have to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and I use that, and that's very important to continue to talk about, but that's one of the elements that we should have already worked out years in the past, and we still talk about it today. This dilemma of do we work from the office or do we work from home or do we have a hybrid experience? That to me should have been a conversation that we must have had years ago and we continue to have that conversation today. Like if we were in the, I don't know, in the 1990s when the internet just started to, you know, the dawn of the internet, right? That was offering so many opportunities. So there are some, I don't want to call them trends, some realities today that are hijacking the conversation of how to build the future of organizations, the future of work. And that sort of today's reality includes where do we work from? You know, do people work from nine to five, the four day week? To me, all of those things should have been things of the past because we should have already talked about them and resolved them before. Now, if we think a little bit more looking into the future, what I think about is how do we build, I'm on the trends, how do we build a workplace that is concerned with a human in the entirety of that person and not just in their capacity as an employee. So what I'm saying here is, how do we build a workplace that transcends the concepts of engagement and employee experience and starts developing or delivering on human experience? So number one, because people are looking for much more than having something that them being considered just an an employee, right? They want to be thought of as, as a human. So number one. Number two, I'm going to say that the upskilling and reskilling of the workforce is another very powerful trend. And this has to do, by the way, a lot with technology. Jobs are changing very fast. The technology that we're using is changing very fast. The new jobs are being created. All jobs are being disrupted. And the pace at which we can acquire at least technical skills and our human skills, if you will, it's, it's sometimes way slower than the pace at which those skills are needed. So we have to really think, how do we upskill and reskill our workforce? So that may be a, a second trend. And perhaps the more uh, overarching uh, trend to me is, how do we create a workplace culture that allows for humans to flourish, that allows for humans to thrive? And I keep thinking about this all the time, Don, because you know, there's this myth. It's not true, by the way. It's been debunked, you know, many times, but I'm going to say it either way. There's this myth of like humans using only 10% of their brain. That is not true. But what is true, even if very empirically, but what is true is that organizations, I don't think they use more than 10% of people's full capacities, full potential, full skills, and full talents. So what I'm saying is, imagine all the money that we have created in the world, all these amazing innovative organizations that we have 
created in the world with only 10% of people capacities. Imagine if you can unleash their full power. How much better, how much more of a beautiful world would we have today, right? How much better these organizations would be if we were able to release that extra 90% in there, right? So to me, that overarching trend of what do we want work to be? How do we want our organizations to look like? That to me is the, the umbrella of everything else. Once we resolve that question, which is not easy, but I'm hoping that we have the conversation, all the other elements like skilling, upskilling, belonging, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, the talent issues that we have today, companies, you know, struggling to find great talent, all of those things will fall into place because we are resolving a much more complex, but also overarching sort of a trend here. So to me, those are some short-term and long-term perhaps trends going on now in the uh, in work. No, that is wonderful. And I thank you for that. I want to I want to extend a question looking forward. I like the way you instead of trend, you said this is how we look forward, right? It's a beautiful way to say it. Many leaders, large corporations, startups, healthcare to manufacturing grew up in industries more command and control. Yeah. How are we to help leaders make that shift to being more empathetic leaders? while they still have the pressure of the economic growth in this crazy business environment, the political environment, the pandemics, the social change, what advice do you give to leaders that are struggling with that transition? You know, in the in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I never forget the story. I don't know if you read it uh, by Stephen Covey. I think everybody in the world probably has read that book. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm over generalizing here, but I remember the story of the uh, of the goose with the golden eggs, right? You know, the goose was just putting one egg one day, the another golden egg the following day, and the farmer was like, "Wow, this goose is awesome! It must have a lot of golden eggs inside." So the farmer killed it, and when he opened the goose, there was nothing in there. He killed the producer of the golden eggs or the gold eggs. So what I'm thinking right now is that if we need to make, if we need to be more productive, if we need to have our organizations create or generate more revenue, we should not be killing the goose, right? And that's what we do when we force people to come to the office if they don't want to come to the office. That's what we're doing if we're forcing them to work from nine to five or to work in ways that somebody thinks is the best way to work because they are, they themselves, and most generally they are the leaders, are incapable of changing. So what they do, instead of themselves changing, they force everybody else to work the way they want. But that kills the golden egg goose. That's what is going on right now. So my message here to business leaders is, how can you not just have the one golden egg goose, but how can you make many more of them without killing them? How can you make all of your employees create those golden eggs that are your productivity, your high performance, your revenue, your impact, whatever it is. And to be able to do that, a number of things need to happen. And perhaps one of the most relevant things to what is going on in the world of work today is you have to provide your adult human workers with the autonomy and the flexibility for them to be able to make decisions and have some authority and decision-making power on how they want to work. Otherwise, even if you don't notice, you are killing that goose. You are not making them more productive. If you if you think that by forcing somebody to come to an office, what you are, your paradigm says, I am making them more productive, not only you're not, but you're actually doing exactly the opposite. So you are achieving exactly the opposite effect of what you think you 
wanted to achieve in the first place. So to me, um, I mean, there are a lot of nuances here, of course, you know, this is a very complex conversation, but the one thing that I want, that I would love for business leaders to understand is that number one, they themselves need to change. And if they are unwilling or incapable of changing, which I don't think they are incapable, it's just that I don't think they want to change. So if they don't want to change or if they are, they are unwilling to change, you can't really force everybody else to behave the way you want them to behave, especially when there's no data or science backing you up or whatever opinions you have about how work should work. So number one. And the second thing is, instead of killing the golden egg goose, just think about how many more opportunities. Just think about the other 90% that you're not getting by forcing people to behave in one or another way. And stop doing that and think, what should I do to release the energy behind all this extra 90% sort of, you know, damned behind these walls, if you will. So I think that may provide a little bit of a, of curiosity, if you will, to start thinking how, how these things can evolve and be better at work. I, you know, it, to me, the opportunities are incredible. It's just that we are so stubborn, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, Enrique, I agree with you. I think in, now I think I know in my own personal journey, you know, and talking with a business coach, this has been a decade ago, I was resistant to some of the people centric changes that I need to make as a leader. And the business coach was very clear, very firm, but gracious and said, Don, it's not whether or not you're successful the way you're doing it. It's how much more success you can have mm -hmm. if you expand the way you think about leading teams. Absolutely. And that, that statement just, I, I'll never forget it. Yeah. It was that moment where I said, maturity is not an option in leading in this new environment. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah. And, and now, obviously, I'm a proponent of the things that you're saying. I'm a big fan and just trying to encourage other leaders to get on that bandwagon with us. Because a lot of times, Enrique, as I coach and counsel leaders, there's this fear that being an empathetic leader means lowering productivity standards. Yeah. And what I try to share, and I'm interested in your thoughts, it's really about gaining those standards of excellence differently. Yeah. It's not necessarily lowering the standard. Yeah. Here's a here's a, a, another question that I have for you, and and I, I could talk all day, but I, I know we only have a have a short time together. Let's get practical. One of the things that creates belonging at work are the individual conversations and interactions that people have with their people leaders. Yeah. What are some of the things that you advise that you see in terms of giving proper feedback? when you're trying to help people get to the next level so that leaders can get their point across, but they do so in a way 
that is inspiring to those that they lead? Yeah, well, there, there are that's that's a great question, and there are a lot of things here. There's a lot of wonderful research about feedback these days, a lot of science behind it. Uh, but I may want to say, you know, two or three things. The, the first thing that I want to say is that you have to begin from the from the top of the funnel. And what I mean by that is you have to have the leaders that want to be people leaders. Very often you find so many organizations where somebody was, uh, because that was the only sort of uh, next level in the corporate ladder, They people who are great technical uh, experts, they are moved into people leader, leader positions and they don't perform in there. A little bit of Peter, Peter principles going on here, right? So, you have to have people who want to be people leaders and not everybody want to be, wants to be a people leader. So you have to begin there because when you sort of identify those who are willing and, and they like it, they like being people leaders, then it's not that the road ahead will be easy, but it will be easier than forcing somebody who doesn't want to do that job to actually end up doing it. So, and that, by the way, if you, if you from, the, from, the, from the top of the funnel, you have to think about that. You also have to think about what happens with the technical experts who don't want to be people leaders? How do you continue to help them grow without having those people leadership responsibilities? So that's number one. Number two, once if you can resolve that, once you get a good cohort of or, or cadre of leaders who like to uh, lead people, who like to work with people, and who like to manage the the operation of working with people, then you you gotta of course offer them the opportunities for for growth, for learning, the training that is needed for them to have the science and the data and and the and the tactics and the strategies to have powerful feedback conversations with their uh, with their employees. And perhaps one thing that that I want to say here and all science you know points in this direction of course is that what happens in a lot of organizations is that their leaders, their people leaders are also technical leaders. Mm. So when you have to deliver technically a bunch of stuff, then you probably are dedicating 90% of your time to that and 10% of your time to uh, people for your people development. And that doesn't really work, right? So if, if you, if, if that doesn't really work because at the end of the day, you use that 10% to have random conversations, maybe a couple of times per year with your people. And that does not work. There's research that shows that the newer generations, millennials or Gen Z, they look for ongoing or like on the spot feedback, something that you tell them right away where they can correct and take a different course or 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 fix and 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 you know, you know learn and don't make the same mistake again. But if that is happening only a couple of times per year, you know, in the in the best of the cases, sometimes it's just one time per year with a freaking performance review. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're not developing anybody, right? They don't feel that they belong because they don't they don't even know if you are realizing the work that they are doing. So number one make sure that you are selecting the right people leaders, at least the people who want to be there, even if they don't have all the skills that they need from the onset. You develop those skills. Second element is once you have identified the people that want to be, are willing to be those people leaders, then you start developing them as people leaders, you know, providing them with the training for coaching, for feedback, for mentoring, for, you know, leading people and whatnot. And then once they have all those skills, it's very important for them to understand that doing, having a one time a year or two times a year conversation on feedback doesn't cut it anymore. People want to have more ongoing conversations. That, by the way, uh, when, when I talk about ongoing conversations that that trickles down to a bunch of things. One of them is people need to have, not only they want to have, but they need to have clarity around the expectations that the organization and you as a leader 
have with them. It's very confusing to hire somebody and not to tell them, this is what I'm expected, expecting from you, right? In the next you know, couple of weeks, in the next you know, six months, in the next 18 months. So when there's no clarity, clarity around those expectations, you know, you don't have any any benchmark to to measure yourself with, right? Or against. So so providing that ongoing feedback means providing clear expectations, having those ongoing conversations, and they don't even have to be very structured. They can even be sometimes random chats about you know the needs of your people, the you know the resources they are they are lacking to do their job, where they need more of your support, and even maybe providing a little bit of a challenging uh, opportunity for them to continue to grow. So I think those three elements and the last element of providing ongoing feedback with the trickle, you know, the peppering of, you know, providing clear expectations, ongoing feedback, random conversations and challenging people. I think that will get you on a, on a great path to, um, to developing your people and having them deliver, you know, that extra 90% that we talked about at the beginning. That is powerful. One of the things that you said that just jumped off of the screen to me as we're talking is that there are people leaders that should be on a more sales track or a technical track. Yeah. And that many organizations only show one way to rise up in the organization, which is how many direct reports you have, how many people are in your organization. Whereas if you have a powerful technologist, they can do the work and the lift of 10 other technical people. Yeah. Why wouldn't you let that person become a technical fellow, create patents, go after new innovation? But instead, as leaders in organizations, we shift them to a status quo path, yeah. which doesn't personalize their experience. And so I, I think there was a lot of wisdom in that, that, that we, we kind of make that mistake again and again as business leaders that, that we really need to, to correct. So, and, and, and Don, one thing, let, let me add very quickly here. Sure. I think the opportunity for HR people to step in to step in here and transform organizational design is just incredible because we know I, I you know I don't think that what I'm saying here is a secret to anybody I, you know what I'm saying is I, I think we 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 see it empirically right it's just evident so if if we're seeing it happening the question becomes why don't we change it right why don't we you know create something different so so this is a, a, a i'm gonna say a wonderful challenge for hr folks to to say you know what it seems that in this organization the only progression that is possible for our people it seems to take them to a, a people leaders role but what happens with those who don't want to be people leaders? How do we provide them with opportunities for growth, for promotions, for progression without having to enter into that category of people leaders? You're going to be doing yourself as an organization and them a fantastic service. I, I will tell you, I, I've been following you now for, for over a year. I've been thoughtful and, and thankful to be a participant in, in some of your, uh, your webinars. One of the compliments that I would just like to share with you, and the enthusiasm is obvious, the passion, the knowledge is obvious, but the way that you just made that statement a wonderful challenge. Even things that are tough, you make them aspirational. Yeah. And that is something that I, I just wanted to share that, but that's just a great way to, to communicate. Thank Last um, question that I have for you, my friend, and, and again, I could talk to you all, all day. What are some of the lessons that you've learned as a people leader that you would like to share with our audience so that we can get there faster kind of rules of the road if you will yeah. as we're thinking about 
being business transformers versus HR compliers or compliance components. What are some of those seeds of excellence that you'd share? I want to begin perhaps by saying the one that has been, um, you know, very significant for me, and and that is being very, what I call being radically open-minded. And that means not just changing the way, not just changing my ideas, but also knowing that the compass that was guiding me through some things before was kind of broken, you know, and it was not pointing me in the right direction. It was not pointing me north. That's very hard to do, by the way, because, you know, if you come to me, Don, and you say, you know, Enrique, why don't you change the color of your shirt, you know, from white to blue? And I say, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to change it. I don't have any problem with that. But then maybe you tell me, why don't you change, you know, your entire, um, you know, style, right? And you give me, a, you know, a data, you know, you explain to me why that requires a whole different of, of acceptance, of open-mindedness to say, it's not just changing my shirt, it's changing my entire style. In, in the work that I do now, I had some paradigms about how some things should have been done. And doing this work and talking with so many people around the world, I have been shifting stuff, right? Not only changing the shirt, but also changing the style, right? And what I mean by that is the compass that I used to guide me on some things was kind of broken. You know, there's this book called True North. But, you know, when you think about True North, you probably begin from the place of knowing that your compass is actually pointing you in the right direction. But what happens if the if the compass is broken? I mean, you're going to go in a totally different direction, right? So if somebody comes to you and says, like, Don, I'm sorry, but that's not north. North is this other way. And then I give you a right compass. And then I give you maybe the, the right map and whatnot. There's a different thing that happens in you. So what I'm telling HR people is that you have to be radically open-minded. And I'm going to give you one example of that. Actually, it's a very complex question. It's, it's, um, probably we're not going to have the time to talk about it. What is HR for? I'm, I'm going to just leave it in there. What is HR for? If you are able to crack the code of that question, I can promise you that you're going to ditch the compass that you have been using as the, to point you in the quote-unquote so-called north of HR, and you're going to say this compass was guiding me maybe in the wrong direction, or perhaps it was working at some point and it broke and it doesn't work anymore and you need to get a new compass. You got to work on that question. What is HR for? To me, when you are able to work on that question, if you come to the conclusion that HR is for, you know, transaction administration, policy and compliance, good for you. I don't think that's the north of HR, but that's that's what you're getting to. I, I just don't think that's the right answer, but, you know, you, you just, you're going to have to live with it. To me, the what is HR for implies and contains so much more than just that. And that implies, you know, telling ourselves this compass that I was using, you know, it's not working anymore. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get me a new one and go in a different direction. So what is HR4 can be a great conversation to have. And, and I didn't respond to much of your question, but I am trying to help people sort of think about that for themselves, right? You know, what, what do they want their HR career to be like? What do they want their function of HR to look like, to do? What do they want it to deliver, you know, in the future? One of the things that I would add to that is if you ask that question, what is HR for in partnership with your leadership, that's a powerful conversation to gain buy-in because now you have constructed, right, the purpose. And it is not a purpose that is driven by the latest fad, a latest book. 
It is an element that a team came together and created that. And most people support what they co-create. And so I would highly encourage our business leaders to think about it different and be radically open-minded, as you said. Yeah. And and then you also educate them because sometimes business leaders have the very wrong idea of what HR not just should do, but what it actually does. And if you're working together with them in crafting that vision, that north, and bring that compass that you can both use, I think you're going to have you're going to find yourself in a wonderful place and having a lot of fun delivering on that new promise, on that new uh, potential, if you will, uh, of HR. So lots of opportunities there, Don. I mean, uh, it's just incredible, the opportunities that we have to create a much better HR. That is awesome. As we round out our time together, how can people stay in touch with you? How can people engage with Hacking HR? Because you have, in a sense, given this powerful teaser of yeah. all the things that you share and learn and, and posting. Share with our audience how they can stay connected with you and your organization. Yeah, they can go to our uh, Hacking HR LinkedIn page. You know, we post a lot of stuff in there all the time. They can go, they can create an account uh, for free in our platform, hackinglab.io. You're going to find a lot of great information there. Or you can just reach out to me, Enrique at hackinghr.io, and I will... Um, guide you as much as better as I can as best as I can to you know get you involved in the things that we do fantastic Enrique it has been my uh, honor and privilege to share this space with you, you. and continue our, our partnership together and I really appreciate what you're doing for the practice of people leaders because if we can all increase the level of care that we work in this space uh, then we're going to create that dent in the universe that Steve Jobs talks about and make things better for more people. And so, Enrique, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.